I don't um, want to keep beating uh, a dead horse, so to speak, if you could call it that. Um, but in my desire today, um, God is really working overtime, if I could say it like that, to strip away so many things and bring it back to the simplicity of just Him. I, um, um, I don't really, uh, I didn't realize, I guess for me, um, that, uh, I had a lot of default layers in me. So maybe for all of you, you're just a, along for the ride as God works on me. So I apologize if that's, if God's just working on me and you're having to watch me get worked on. But uh, if you're not praying for yourself, you could at least pray for me this morning. Um, I'm not sure today if we're working on Facebook and YouTube. Um, YouTube is working. Facebook is not, I've been told. So um, if you're on YouTube and it's working and you know Facebook people, you might want to get on Facebook and let them know that YouTube is working and Facebook is not. At this point in time, I'm just amazed my computer hasn't blown up uh, and fried. Um, and you know what I'm... I'm I'm very used to fighting through um, some kind of um, moment of spiritual, I can say it the best way, spiritual um, surge. But this last, last month or so, a lot of what God has done is simply we're fighting by pushing through some things. Um, and again, I said it earlier, I don't want to sensationalize something and make it into something it's not. Some have accused us of doing that, and uh, that's kind of sad uh, that you would think we would take advantage of things to sensationalize the moment. Um, ultimately, Okay, Facebook is working now. All right. Um, well, at least that's good news. We're working. Yay! Score one for the good guys, I guess. Uh, um, I am no way trying to capitalize this. Because I know some of you and your cerebral mind simply, well, it's just probably an internet problem. Call Verizon or it's just a computer problem. Get somebody who knows computers. True. But honestly, the last month or so, when you stack up everything that is being done, uh, it's too many things at this point to just say, well, it's a Verizon problem. Uh, and so I say all that to say, I, I, uh, I've never been felt like there was this much resistance to so many things. And so I step back and I go, okay, I don't believe the devil wastes his resources. I don't believe the devil is about simply doing to simply do. I believe he recognizes what God is trying to do 
I don't say that to boast us or Antioch West or anything else. Um, I say that because I believe that strongly in the plan and purpose that God has for us as a body and for those of you that have desired and chosen to be a part of this. Um, which means, congratulations, we'd shake our hands today. By the way, another crazy thing. We got some evidence here. I have no idea what happened this morning. I literally was sitting here and my finger just sliced right open. I had blood everywhere. My wife, thankfully, was able to find me a Band-Aid. It's been one of those crazy mornings. I had blood, and I'm of all mornings, to wear a white shirt when you're bleeding. Um, I said all that to say uh, that congratulations. If you've chosen to be a part of Antioch West, I will just let you know right now. You're probably going to be going through hell, or you're probably already going through hell. So... One way or the other, hey, we're all in it together, right? <laughs> but uh, I believe with everything in me that God is at work here for a plan and a purpose that we cannot see, but uh, he is faithful. And so um, I want to just challenge you with something this morning. And... Um, the Lord gave me this scripture, and I thought I was going to come on earlier and talk about it, but I will uh, talk about it now. Um, but it's a scripture we're all familiar with, but I'll just read it anyways because it's good to read. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews 11, if you know you know the Bible at all, Hebrews 11 is um, a um, the faith. Uh, chapter. It's the one that goes through uh, uh, all the things about faith. It starts off with now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And um, then it goes through this list of all these uh, very, if you could use the term, famous biblical characters and what they accomplished from Noah to Abraham to uh, Sarah to all of these people that uh, are uh, of great uh, men and women of faith. Uh, and then right after that, verse 12 uh, makes this, uh, verse chapter 12 opens up with, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. Now, I believe in the King James Version, if you read that, um, it is the word patience. And so when you read it out of the New King James, they, trans they took the translation of the word patience uh, out of the King James, which when I think of patience, I think of waiting, just sort of a, a attitude of waiting. But in reality, the word patience there is an endurance. And there's completely different ideologies between being patient and enduring. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, uh, right now to the throne of God. This has been and is still a season that is requiring great faith. Maybe this is not just uh, a season for Antioch West, but maybe particularly for you and where you are in your life, this is a season uh, that is requiring great faith. 
And the thing about faith that we all know is, is that faith doesn't make sense. Faith requires us to see what is not seen. It requires us to believe in what we cannot believe in, or cannot, cannot see. We're so used to nowadays. Um, my wife and I were talking, and um, I've mentioned this before, but uh, our our uh, our society has been conditioned to uh, only believe once you've seen. It's not believe and you will see. It's I will see, therefore I believe. Prove it to me. Don't just tell me. Prove it. Uh, we are inundated with so much information that uh, we're challenging everything, and in some ways, challenging is good. I've often said that it's okay to challenge truth because truth can withstand challenge. If it's not truth, then challenge, uh, challenging it will reveal what's really true. Truth is truth because it has stood the test of time for thousands of years and has been challenged multiple times and hundreds of times by every angle imaginable. And the reason why we know truth is still truth today is because it has never lost. That's why it's truth. So it's okay in some ways to challenge, to ask, to challenge, to dig. But the problem with that, there's a fine line. And I think the fine line is between there's a challenge, but then there's faith. Because faith requires us to believe when we don't get the answer to our challenge. Now, I don't mean to say that from the standpoint, some take it where you basically mean, you know, someone could just say whatever they want and therefore you just have to believe it. Um, some places, some people in religious circles have used that as the uh, sort of get out of jail free card when asked to explain why they believe what they believe and they respond back to that with, well, you can't really see it, you just got to believe it. Well, I, that's not really truth. So I'm not talking specifically about that, th that area there. I think we have to challenge truth. We have to challenge truth. We have to challenge truth in our own life. We can't just believe something. We have to ask ourselves, believe. And is what we in is what we believe in backed up through scripture? Is it my opinion? Is it my thought? Or is it backed up through scripture? And not just simply backed up through scripture, but is it backed up through the correct interpretation of scripture? Because I will tell you, if you want to find scripture to back up some crazy things in your life, you can find them. You can find scripture and you can piece Take a piece here and take a piece there, and you can mold it together and come up with some fairly wacky, if you want to call it that, doctrines. Doesn't make them right or true, but you can say they're biblical. Um, and this is not just a problem for today. This has been a problem that has lasted for hundreds of years. In fact, this is a problem that went all the way back into the days of Jesus because Jesus fought with those who were using Scripture but in their wrong interpretation. Um, and so... His challenge to them was to challenge them to correctly interpret the Word of God. So I say all that is that uh, we need to challenge what we believe. We need to challenge. I have been through a season now for a while, and it's even increasing even more that I am challenging what I believe. Now, before you panic, those of you are watching, I'm not talking about challenging what I believe when it comes to uh, um, um, the the identity. God or the necessity of uh, the ingredients to 
being born again, which is repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about those things. But I was saying earlier uh, in the midst of one of the uh, sessions of buffering and all of that that was going on that I have been extremely challenged lately, even more so. I've got a lot of default settings in me that of over the years that I've just done. And I feel like right now God is challenging every single part of me. And there's been some times I've looked at some things uh, and had to take a step back. And uh, I'm looking at those in a whole new light and saying, God, what do you really want out of this? What do you really mean out of this? And uh, we have to be challenged. But on the other side, there's another part about this, and that's that faith side, because faith requires us to believe when we can't see. Faith requires us to believe when we don't have an answer. And I love the words here in Hebrews that says uh, that we are to endure. This has been a season of great endurance. This has not been an easy season by many imagination. I feel like this is a season where we are enduring. But we have to keep believing. Because we believe. Why? Because we are just naive. No, we believe because we know, number one, God is faithful. Number two, we know that he has a plan and purpose. He never does anything by accident. He never makes a mistake. And that God is up to something. Something amazing. I look around and I hear stories of things going on and I know that God is at work. So today we are once again dealing with a lot of things here at Antioch West that uh, are not normal. Um, but I am enduring, my, my, my flesh is enduring, but my spirit is encouraged. Um, so for those of you out there that are going through things, maybe in your personal life or maybe in, in connection with your journey here with us at Antioch West, uh, my encouragement to you today is look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. If we lose sight of the bigger picture, if we lose sight of the fact that it's about Jesus and only Jesus, then we won't endure so today, maybe this is just about taking a simple step. I talked to the leaders uh, the other night, and I was making a statement that um, the Lord is taking Antioch West from complexity to simplicity. And one of the things I've been sort of dealing with just in my normal, I was talking about default settings, is sort of the panic that comes over me because what we're doing and what God is, the place God's taking us in some ways is extremely simple. It's not very layered. It's not very complex. It's not very fancy. It's very simple. I mean, in reality, it kind of, it's a very, uh, I guess you could call it humbling. I, maybe you don't think it's humbling. I, I feel like it's a humbling experience. I, uh, we, we built some studio stuff here and um, tried, we've, we've tried to make it the best we can, but today it's not working and we're back to, I'm streaming here on my laptop. Uh, today and I'm not even sure if the sound quality is any good um, and it's not fancy and it's not pretty um, but ultimately if Jesus is involved he had the entire town leave the comforts of the city to go out to the wilderness 
to see a guy dressed in camel's hair eating locusts. But he had a message from Jesus, and that message from Jesus was enough to compel. So I don't come today with anything fancy. I come today maybe with some, lo some uh, camel hair and some locusts for breakfast. Uh, but I believe in, if we follow him, the simplicity of following him is that he is all we need. And that's not just in theory, but that's in reality. So we're moving from complexities to simplicity because in the world we live in, we've proven one thing, um, the complexity of institutional religion or institutional Pentecostalism or check-the-box mentality isn't working anymore. The only thing that is truly effective is the flexibility and the simplicity of the model that Jesus gave us, and that model has not changed. And um, I just am thankful for those of you that are along for the ride today that uh, are desiring to be a part of this because uh, in reality, um, what is God wanting us to do become? What is his desire for us to be? Good people? Is he desiring for us to be good Christians? Is he desiring for us to uh, just kind of go through life and do things and check off our boxes? No, his greatest desire is for us to follow him. And what do we call following him? We call it discipleship. His desire is to uh, for us to become his disciples. His his denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. And I shared this on Wednesday night with our leaders, and I'll say it again, a definition of discipleship. Disciples are people who are willing to let Jesus change what they care about. I'm going to say that again. Disciples are people who are willing to let Jesus change what they care about. What are the values of your life as you stand here today? What do you value? Most of us say, well, I, I, you know, I value this. But if I looked at your life and the behavior of your life and the way you live out your life, I could simply, by looking at your priorities, looking at your, your daily or weekly routines, I could determine what you really value. And ultimately, being a Jesus Christ changed what you care about. Which is amazing to me because... The second part, we have this verse, right? It's beautifully written, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him uh, endured the cross, despised the shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. And then right after that, there's this verse, and this is what came to me this morning, and I may just read it and let the word speak. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted bloodshed striving against sin, and yet you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom he, the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And I know when we read those, that sounds terrible because it says, uh, we're rebuked, but that word rebuke there is not rebuked as far as what we're thinking. That word rebuke there is to teach, to train, to help learn. 
The other thing is a scourge, the same thing. It speaks to teaching and training. It's not simply a correction, but it's a, a correction with the intent of teaching and training. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are, in, you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and life and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chasing. Chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Ultimately, it's our desire and it's our calling to be disciples. A disciple is a taught and trained one. Not all training is done simply through knowledge. In fact, if that is the case, let me ask you this today. How many of you, if you needed brain surgery today, would want a surgeon uh, operating on you who was simply fresh out of medical school? A surgeon has to take up to eight years to... Uh, go through uh, training, four years of a bachelor's degree, another at least four years of medical school minimum to be able to become a doctor in knowledge. But I don't know about you, I wouldn't want a doctor or a fresh out of school medical student operating on me. The problem is Book knowledge, if they've passed medical school, they have been certified. The fact that they have, they've got all the knowledge necessary. They know all parts of the brain. They've probably dissected the brain. They've probably worked on cadavers. They have probably, they know every single part. They could probably describe it to you in their sleep. They've passed tests. They have written papers. They have uh, 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 spoken to uh, to. Uh, to groups of people explaining the brain, explaining how the brain works. They can tell you precisely where to make the cuts. They can precisely tell you how to, uh, how to fix certain problems because they have the knowledge. But none of us would want them working on us because if they go through this school, the next step they go through is they have to go through usually about five to seven years, sometimes even longer, of what's called a residency, which means they have to take all that knowledge and they have to learn under someone and all that has to be put into practice. They have to see the real world application of it. They actually have to take it and put it into practice and be corrected and, and they have to be chastened and maybe even scourged about how to correctly do it. Well, I know how to do how to operate on someone the oh only going through some um, medical things with her uh, with with uh, some stuff going on in our body and we had to go see a couple of doctors and we actually went to the University of Maryland here in Baltimore and a part of that is that the, the main doctors we got to meet with some pretty uh, pretty um, um, accomplished 
doctors and every one of those doctors usually came in the room with two or three other doctors and they were residents coming in and they were doctors they had uh they had passed all the tests they had been registered but they were working under this other doctor in real world scenarios because to operate on somebody or to salt to deal with these things in theory is not the same as to deal with them in actuality so for us we are inundated with knowledge. We can read books. We can go and listen to sermons. We can go on Sunday morning. We can do all this stuff. And we've done it for years. But the problem is it's theory. We're not getting into practice in the real world. That's why we are conformed, but we're not transformed. So what do we do? We have to learn to operate and work in real life scenarios. And that's why the Bible says that those he loves, he corrects. The, his sons, he chastens and corrects. Why? Because if you do that, it's, gonna, it's going to, to, to yield, the Bible says at the end there, it's going to yield fruit in our life, the fruit of righteousness. So I will tell you right now, not everything you're going through is the devil. Not everything you're going through is life. There are some things you're going through that God is taking you through for the express purpose of teaching and training you. It may feel like correction. And notice this, I love how there's sort of a misinterpretation here because we don't really have a good English word for the Greek equivalent here for the word chasten. We don't really have a good. So the translators use the word chasten, but the Greek word there literally is a learner, to learn. But I find that to be funny because isn't that how we look at it? We look at it as chastening, but really it's instructing. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your kids don't look at what you do to them as trying to teach them. Your kids look at them you as what you're trying to do is, well, you're 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 I'm in trouble or I'm being punished or I'm being grounded or whatever it is. They don't look at it as a learning experience. They look at it as punishment. But you as a parent know that you're teaching them, you're training them to become obedient, to learn how to take things and apply it in life. Isn't God doing the same thing to us? Now, I get it. When you talk about this, I understand that a lot of you, it brings up some dark, deep places in your life because you had fathers or mothers who didn't know how to correct, correctly discipline. They were abusive. They were hurtful. And so because of that, you have transferred that same feeling with God and it's hard for you to receive his loving correction because his correction feels and reminds you very much of your previous experiences. The problem with this is that we paint this picture that walking with Jesus should be this utopic existence where everything in our world should be perfect and it never should have a bad day and we never should go anything through difficulty. And it's simply not the case. But the problem is we have tried to make it that way and therefore our desire, instead of trying to embrace the struggle, we try to eliminate the struggle. Instead of letting the Lord teach us through the struggle, we want to avoid the struggle. And simply not the case. And it's simply not his plan. So... I don't know who you are today and why God has chosen today to speak to you, but I believe someone today, you need a fresh perspective on what's happening in your life. For some of you, it's not the devil. It's not life. Some of you, God's trying to 
teach you and train you. But it feels a lot like punishment. No, it's not punishment. It's training. It's teaching. You won't know that till you get to the other side. There's things about my childhood that I understand now on the other side as a parent that, wow, my parents really were trying to teach me. It felt like punishment. It felt like I was being uh, corrected and, you know, deprived or punished in some way. But in reality, it was the fact I was being taught, trained, and as a parent now, I try to do the same thing with my children, teach and train them these things. But ultimately, it's how we see it. And what's God's ultimate desire? What is he striving for? He's striving for us to be disciples. Well, disciples are taught and trained. How do you teach and train without correction? How do you teach and train without pointing out the desire and an effort to change them? If we're trying to make good people, then we don't really do these things. But God's not trying to make you into a good person. He's trying to make you into his image. We are building a culture of discipleship here at Antioch West. That is the desire. That's the goal. That's the passion. I believe that's the direction God is taking us in. And uh, not everybody's willing to be discipled. Because not everybody's willing to be corrected. Not everybody's willing to be challenged. Not everybody's willing to be chastened, to rebuke, be rebuked. Now, I get it. I'm not speaking of things that are done incorrectly. I'm not speaking of things that are done uh, in ways that are, uh, that are improper. I'm talking about godly rebuke, godly chastening with love. But nowadays, you can't say anything to anybody without them being offended. But you know what? crazy. Do you know the Bible says in the last days, one of the signs of the last day, we know about the wars and the rumors of wars and we're all freaked out about the mark of the beast and all, you know, global climate change and earthquakes and who's that mark of the beast and oh my God, China's rising and what about Islam? We, we freak out about all these things because they're the signs of the times. Do you know what the Bible says one of the signs of the time would be? It says many will be offended. To me, one of the greatest signs that we're living in the last day is the amount of offense, not in the world, the amount of offense that is happening in the church. Now, I get there's been a lot of spiritual abuse. There's been a lot of things happening in church that were wrong. I'm not speaking or, or saying those were okay. But I'm saying that now you can't say anything to anybody without offending them. Because people get offended when they don't get their way. People get offended when their life is not going according to their plan. They get offended with whoever. And most of the time, it's really because they're getting offended with God. There's an epidemic of offense in the church today. There's an epidemic of offense towards God. We don't call it that. We don't say it that way. We're very good at disguising that. But in reality, it is. That's what it is. But if we're truly going to be disciples, we're going to have to understand that sometimes being a disciple means I've got to be willing to be corrected. And the sports analogy, would, uh, in the sports world, they want to know, are you willing to be coached? One of the greatest compliments that you could give someone like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant if you dig beyond their talent and their hard work and their skill level and their, uh, their, their just absolute tenacious desire to, uh, to reach the top 
one of the things that both of them had in common and others did as well, I'm just using them because they're the ones that seem to be in the news the most, is to how coachable they are. That they were willing to receive uh, instruction, that they're willing to receive criticism, they're willing to receive anyone, any, any coach telling them or helping them saying, you know what, look, I know you're practicing and you're, you're really good at this and you've done this at the highest level, but, but you are, you may want to change this. And instead of getting mad and storming off the court and say, well, that's not fair. They're being, they're being unfair. Look at all the stuff I've done. Look how good I am at all these places. They go, thank you. I'll work on that. I've read of superstars that at the end of the year, they sit down with their coaches. These are guys who are the top of their, the top of their profession. They sit down with their coach at the end of the year and say, okay, tell me something I need to improve on during this offseason. I'm not going to be sitting at home, you know, eating pizza and burgers and celebrating what I've done. I want to get better, but I can't always see my flaws. So can you tell me how to get better? And that's why when they come back, they get better and better. This is why someone, if I named the name Tiger Woods, most of you would at least know who that was. If you don't know anything about golf, you know the name Tiger Woods. And the reason why you know the name Tiger Woods is because Tiger Woods was and uh, arguably the greatest golfer to ever live. I didn't say greatest person, but the greatest golfer to ever live. But Tiger Woods always had a coach. Well, if he's so great, why does he need somebody else? Because he acknowledged that there are things I can't see about myself. I need somebody that's willing to correct me, to change me, to tweak me. If that's the case, how are you and I thinking that we're going to achieve true discipleship without something watching out for our blind spots? So we're desiring in Antioch West to build a culture of discipleship. Part of being a culture of discipleship is being a culture where we're able to be able to have things in our life pointed out and not get offended, not get frustrated, but allow the Holy Ghost to appoint those things out so that we can change. Because I'll go back and I'll say it again, and the leaders that were on with me on Wednesday night heard this as well, but this is a part of this uh, next implementation that we have here at Antioch West that God's doing, is that disciples are people who are willing to let Jesus change what they care about. Why is that important? Because ultimately we are driven by our values. What do we value? What do you value today? Because what you value will determine your lifestyle. And then your lifestyle will ultimately determine your culture. So when I say to you today, it is our desire to build a culture of discipleship here at Antioch West, how are we going to do that? The first thing we're going to do is by establishing the true biblical values that we're supposed to have. And I got to be honest with you, those values don't, don't, aren't in alignment with some of the things we think. Being a good person, coming to church, paying my tithes, doing those things. Those are all byproducts. The values are denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following him. The desire, the, the values are, I must decrease that he must increase. There's some values here. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the, the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the values of Christ. Those are the values of Scripture. Later on, he says, this is the third commandment. By all this shall men know you're my disciples because you have love for one for another. There's 59, I believe, one another commands in the Bible. Can you believe that? 59 one another commands. And they're not like ambiguous. Like, oh, have, you know, hang out with your neighbor. 
There's about serving one another, loving one another, preferring one another, carrying one another's burdens, being there for one another. There's 59 New Testament one another or each other verses. But once we establish these values, then those values will determine our actions and those actions are be, will become our lifestyle and the lifestyle will build the culture. So for those of you that are a part of this journey with us and you kind of get tired of hearing the same things repeated over and over again, you say, well, can we move on to something else? No, we're having to change our values before we can move on because if we change, if we simply move on to something else, our actions won't match up with what we say we value. Because ultimately what we really value is just putting in our time, fulfilling our religious obligation, and living our life. And therefore we produce a religious culture, not a discipleship culture. So we are moving in an amazing place, Antioch West. The journey's tough, the journey's not easy, and we, have, we are facing great resistance. But greater is he that is in me than he that in the world. We will win this fight. It's not over. But the Bible says he that endures. He endured the cross. He endured it all. He endured. There's some enduring going on right now. Can I get an amen? There is enduring. I'm enduring. You're enduring. We're all enduring to some degree. But we're not just enduring for no reason. We're enduring because there's something that is pulling us and compelling us. And I'm just thankful today to be a part of that as God is leading and guiding us. So I pray in Jesus' name today that in all of this, you will allow the Lord to continue to show you things from his Embrace the correction that God is bringing in your life, not as punishment, but as a desire to train and teach you and you to learn how to walk with him in a greater way every day in Jesus' name.